If you would please open up your Bibles to the book of uh, Colossians chapter 3 and we'll be picking right back up where we left off there at verse 18 of Colossians chapter 3. Now a couple of things for you who are taking notes. Um, the topic today is the new home life. And if you remember we've been talking and Paul has been emphasizing the fact that you've put off the old man, you've gotten rid of the old clothes, the old ways of life, the worldliness, the sin life, you've put that off and you've put on Christ. The, the things of Christ, you're learning about those things, you're, you're continuing to learn if you're a brand new believer, a brand new child of God, you're, you're learning this new life, this new birth, and, and you're still maybe a baby and you're still laying on your back and crying and whining and crying of, about your life and someone feed me, someone feed me and change my diaper because I just went all over myself again and and someone's gonna have to come in clean you up a little bit and help encourage you and give you a little pat on your butt a little behind and your diaper and say keep gumming and keep showing up regardless of how you feel eventually you're gonna mature and then you might get into that little rebellious teenage stage and think you know it all and you've been in the word and you've been puffed up and you think you just know it all and you know better than than anybody else and I'm gonna pat you on the butt and but and say keep coming keep showing up and get through that because you still need to get changed in your teenage life because you get spotted up in the world and all of a sudden you mature even more and all of a sudden things get really solid and surety of what you know about God and the grace of God and the love of God in your life and the purpose and the calling of your life and it's from that point on it's just a great life in as a Christian, I kind of, kind of encourage you, just keep showing up regardless of how you feel. Don't let the enemy stop you. Don't let anything. Now, Paul, I love in his teachings because he gives us in the very beginning of his letter to the, the believers there in Colossae, foundational truths, doctrinal truths that you must and you, they needed to know, but we also need to know today by the power of the Holy Spirit giving us the word of God has given us the word for us to be, have a solid foundation as a Christian. But Paul doesn't just give you knowledge and doctrine and truth. And if you just dwell there, you get really kind of stiff and unloving if you stay there. So I encourage you, don't become very stiff and, 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 and rule-driven, Bible-teaching, thumping kind of guy or a gal. You need to go on to the practical. You need to apply it to your life and allow the love of God to do a work and the grace of God to do a work in your life so you'll soften and be that loving Christian man and woman that's put on the new clothes and has a new life and you can't wait to share it with others who are, who are in, has no life and they're in pain and suffering and going through difficult times. Allow God to use your life. And that's the application piece. And Paul does the same thing with the letter here today. He takes the doctrinal now, we move here at the end of this letter, here this epistle, and to the Colossians, and he gives us practical living for our home, new home life. Now hold on to it, because for some of you, this is one of your favorite parts of the Bible. And for some of you, this is not the best parts of the Bible. But watch when we go through here because it applies to all of us and it's practical and it's not always easy to digest. But partake of what God has for you today in the home life discussion because Paul's going to address husbands and wives and children, bosses, supervisors, but also employees. 
And all those relationships play within the, the new home life here. And he's going to give us some practical things. Now, keep in mind, this is not an exhaustive list of what the roles and responsibilities of a husband or of a wife or of a child or, or of a boss or an employee position. It's not an exhaustive. But what does, what does Paul give us is the key ingredient. You can do great communications and you can do all these things of everything else we're talking about. Because early on in the letter he says you need to put on love. That's a foundation. That's a fruit that needs to bear from your life in due time. The fruit of the Spirit is the love, joy, and peace, and long-suffering, and kindness, and, and, and all these things. But for these relationships, he's going to give a very simple for us, especially for us guys. Why? He gives you one key thing for you to think about when it comes to your relationship with your husbands. One foundation. Don't get that wrong, because the rest of them, won't work. the things you try to do won't work. And guys... You're going to have to think about, remember one thing when it comes to your wives. One thing you need to remember and get really good at it. Because the rest of those things you try to do is going to fall apart if you don't get this one thing right. Kids, children, if you don't get this right, fathers, if you don't get, moms, if you don't get this right in regards to your children, then everything else you've been trying to do and you think you're doing right is going to start falling apart. And then he extends it into the, the work life. Because part of our life, we work. <laughs> God's called us to work. And he helps us understand our relationship as an employee, or at that time, slaves, because more than half of the population in that part of the area were slaves. We call them employees today. But what the relationship with their, their bosses? And also, we'll catch chapter 4, verse 1, and we'll see that very bad uh, division within the chapter 3, chapter 4. That chapter, verse 1, needs to be with chapter 3. So we're going to cover that. But what is the boss's relationship to the employees and what God holds them responsible for? And we're going to cover all that. I assure you, we have two hours to do it. We're going to be good to go. Hold on. Here we go. Ready? Side note. If you're taking notes, go back today and read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 through chapter 6, verse 9. That is the parallel passages along with right here, and you will see if some of the things, and I'll reference some of those out of Ephesians, so you can go back and look at that and get a little bit more flavor. But if you notice here at the verse 17 where we ended, he says, Paul says here in the writings here in chapter 3, verse 7, he says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He says, we have to give thanks to all things, everything in our lives. We just have to be a thankful and grateful people. As mature Christians, you will become thankful and grateful. If you're not there yet, keep showing up. Keep being in the Word. Keep praying. Keep being around the fellowship. And eventually, the, the, your, God's going to do a great work in you to a point where you become so thankful and grateful for what God has done and, and continues to do in your life. But he, now he moves into the practical. He says, wives. Verse, verse, uh, uh, verse 18 here. Uh, why? Submit to your own husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. And verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Now let me take a step back here again and, and remind you, where did the home life, this husband-wife kind of conversation start? It started back from the very beginning of creation in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. 
It also references this relationship between man and woman. One man, one woman. That's marriage. That's God-defined. Man has no right in uh, to redefine that in any form or fashion. God has authority over that. And you can go back to Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, and know that the institution that God founded on earth was the home between a husband and a, and, and, and a, uh, a wife. And that is fact, that is truth, and we are not to touch that. It doesn't matter what culture and society says, that is not to be touched. That is solid, given, directed, and founded based on God. And so when you understand these things that we're about to read, understand everything we're about to read about uh, a relationship between a husband and, uh, and, and a wife is God-given. It's not man coming up with this. It's not woman coming up with this. It's not some, some committee coming up with this. And it's not some, some higher uh, organization of, of very intellectual people coming up with this. This, this is God-given words. So if you struggle with this, you're struggling with God. And let me remind you, God wins. Just the way it works. Regardless of how you feel, Regardless of what you, your experiences, how traumatic experiences you've gone through or going through or might go through, it, still understand that you have a foundation you can trust your life upon, and that is the truth of God. So hold on to that. Underline it. Circle it. Color pen it. Whatever you're doing to, on your notes to make sure you don't forget that part. As we continue to, to read what understanding what this is. Now, again, it's foundational. And for the home to work properly, this new home life, to work properly as Christians, you must make sure it functions properly and correctly. Because if you do not do whatever it takes to make sure your family home is working properly according to the word of God, then it becomes dysfunctional and that will erode your family. But then when families erode, society erodes. And when society erodes, a nation erodes. And you can see that and historically you can see when the family goes, falls apart and goes squirrely and goes against God's word, it automatically affects the nation as a whole. Because the society is unstable. And we see it playing out today. People say, why are we having the things going on, the deaths and the, the craziness and the shootings and all this stuff? Because the family unit has been invaded by Satan. People are not doing it God's way. They're rebellious and they're living by the flesh and they wonder why things are happening within this society and in their homes. The breakdown, the attack of the home is a sign of the end times. Go back and read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. That's a little sobering. Have a cup of coffee when you're having that one. Because you can sit there and read the scriptures and seeing it play out in our real time on our news and paper, newspapers and TV and, 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 and just conversations around the water cooler at work. You can see it playing out right in front of us. But our desire must be if you're married or desire to be married and you have children or desire to have children or you work or you desire to work this, the scripture applies to you today. 
It applied to the believers there in Colossae. It applies to us today. And you and I must have a desire. Because God, it's good and it's right. He's put a desire on your heart that is in line with the scriptures. It's his will. It is a good desire. And it's a desire to be and to be built up and, and be a strong, godly Christian home in your walk with Christ. You must have a desire to say, at the end of my life, be it God, uh, this body ends and God takes us home uh, before the rapture or during the rapture. What we want is a desire is when we meet our Father as well done, good, and faithful servant. That is what we want to hear. So you must, to have a healthy family, a healthy home, a new home life, you must have a desire for to do it according to God's way. You must have a desire to finish well and make sure your family life is good. You have to do your part. Without a question, you must do, have a desire to do that. If you don't have that desire, I assure you the rest of the scripture, you're going to tune out. You're not going to agree with it. You're not going to apply it. You're, not going, to, you're going to struggle with it. But that doesn't change the fact that this is truth. This is God's truth. I, you know, I'm, I'm not giving this to you out of my own words. I'm reading the word for yourself. Read it yourself. Go back and meditate on it. Be a Berean. Study the scriptures yourself. But look what he says here, wise. He starts with you, not because he thinks you, you need to be first. Hey, again, the Holy Spirit's guiding this. And he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Now let's take that apart because you can quickly, everyone just zones in on the one, one word. What is that? Lord? No. Everyone immediately just works on one word, submit. I don't know why it's God's, the guy's favorite word, submit. But you have to remember when you go back and read uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Don't go, don't, don't, get, don't go get just all ruffled up when you think about the word submit. Because in that scripture says that both men and women are to submit to one another out of the fear of God. So it's not just wives, but Paul emphasizes for you to be able to do your role as a wife and do it properly according to his way, he has to emphasize something to the wives to encourage them to make sure you don't forget. You need to submit. We also see in Ephesians, he also, in Ephesians 5.33, the word respect your husbands. So submit and respect is a key ingredient to have a good relationship with your husband. Now notice this here, that it's, the scripture says, wives submit to your own husbands. Now make sure you understand this. Because in some church circles and in a culture, they think, and back especially in these days, remember, women didn't have any rights back in these days. So when Paul's teaching this, he's teaching it to the ears of women who said, I have no rights. Men dominate everything. But he's saying here in the Christian culture now, it's a new life. It's a new way of doing life here. He says to the women, he says, not only do you need to, to, to submit, to be respect. But because he, you do that is because there's this freedom, this stature that, that is coming up with women. And they're struggling understanding their roles now as a wife in this, new, this culture that they live in. But they've come out of that old life. They've got a new life. There's a new home that needs to work. And things are, are, are getting a little chaotic here. Now remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 40, God does all things what? Decently and in order. 
The word submit is a military term meaning a, to, to arrange by rank or arrange in a way of a leadership ranking. That's what submit means. And so God says, in the family life, I have set a, a, a priority of leadership. Not that the fact that one is better than another. It's just roles and responsibilities. And so, wise, I am putting the full responsibility that I'm coming down on in his head, and that is called your husband. What takes place in that home, I am going to put all the responsibility in the fact that he is going to be the leader and be held responsible of leading that family and leading you as a wife. That's not the fact that he's better than you, not the fact that he deserves it or anything like that. It is the fact that that is his, a role that I have placed on man to be, and that as a husband is to be a leader in the household, and regardless if he likes it or not, he has to be a leader. He has to take responsibility to be a leader. And so he says to the wife, submit to your own husbands. Notice that. It's to your husband. You're not, as the women, are not to be submissive to all men. That is, that's not proper teaching. So if people are out there saying, oh, women, you have to be submissive to all men, that is not correct teaching. You're to submissive to your husband. Why? Because that's who God brought together to you side by side. He is your husband. He's supposed to be the leader. But notice that it's not here, he even brings even more clarity to, for, you, for you wives. He says, I need you to submit to your husband as fitting, to, as fitting in the Lord. Now, that means there's, a, there's some boundaries placed around how, how you submit or how much do you submit or what do you submit or don't submit to in regards to your husband. So he helps the ladies here. If you truly want this true spiritual submission from God that is there and is right and you want this new home of life, this submission is key, ladies, if you want growth and fulfillment in your marriage. It is, this is vital for you. This is what's going to benefit you. This is not about coming against you. This is what's going to bring growth and fulfillment within this mutual love and submission that's created in an atmosphere that grows and enables both the husband and the wife to become all that God has designed for you and him to be together to do for his purpose. It's not just about what you feel like you're not getting. It's what you are blessed of what you are getting from God. Everything from God is good. Regardless of what you feel, it's good. And it says it's as fitting to the Lord. Now, you look at that and you say there's parameters, there's boundaries. And like everything, the, the flesh gets involved. And you have these pendulum swing of the position of understanding of what that means. So when he says here, as is fitting into the Lord, this is a crucial uh, a phrase because there's two main wrong interpretations of that phrase. First one is, the interpretation that benefits the husband. So when the husband reads that and says, oh, I know what that means. Of course you do. You're always trying to define it. But no, let's, let's, let's see what, what the Lord says, right? He says the benefit the husband thinks is that if this fitting for the Lord, that means that the wife should submit to her, him, to submit to the husband, as if he were God himself. God appointed me to be the leader of this house over this marriage. So you're to, to submit to God, but you're also to submit to me like I'm God. Now that's wrong teaching. 
That's very wrong teaching. Because nowhere in the scripture that you are to lord over your wife. You're not to be a dictator over your wife. You're not to be that pounding of the arm and the hand and the foot. and You're going to listen to me, woman. That is not what it is at all. Matter of fact, if you take a look at the, the, what's fitting, uh, the fitting of, the, of, of, of what the Lord is saying here, is that there's a properness or a rightness or a goodness that, that, that should happen. Not that women are to submit to their husbands in some absolute way. Because there's nowhere in the scripture that you see this teaching of an unqualified, without exception, submission of the wife to the husband. Nowhere in the scripture says that. The only thing that a wife and a man is supposed to do is complete submission to God and God alone. So if a woman or if a man asks a woman to submit completely, regardless of what it is, to him, that means he wants you to treat him like God. That means idolatry and that's sin. Because you will put no one before God. So what I, uh, for a man to tell a woman you will submit and do whatever I tell you regardless, it's like you're submitting to God, that is idolatry and you're not to touch that. Now the pendulum swing could swing to the woman's side of the house and they can look at this, 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 this boundary of fitting of the Lord and the benefit that the, the, the woman could take is I can submit to my husband. I'll submit as long as he does what the Lord wants and then it is the wife's job to decide what the Lord wants. That's not how it works, ladies. You didn't just sit there and say, well, husband, I'll submit to you on that point, but I've seeked the Lord, and I don't think the Lord wants me to submit to you on that way, so I'm not submitting to you. Now, if you did what I asked you to do, then I'll submit to you. Let me help you understand this clarity of understanding of what submission is. Submission is not submission when you and him agree on something. And you go, I like that idea, hubby. Yeah, that's a really smart idea. I'm so glad you, you read my note that I left you. I'll submit to you. I agree with you. Let's do it. That's not submission. Submission is when you're having a very loving conversation about something. And you're... You as a wife have a, a point of view. You believe that you've been seeking the Lord. And this is what you think is this is the right way to go. And he's been praying about it and he's seeking the Lord. And he believes this is what the Lord needs to do. And you're both going opposite directions. You're total opposites. Submission is, wives, is when you sit there and say, okay, that's what the Lord's showing you. We're, at, we're two different points of view on this. I don't agree with this, but I will submit. That's submission. You, that's what the Lord's doing. You're the leader. You're, you'll be held responsible. I'm free from this. You're held responsible. I'll do and support you. Key word, I will support you in the decision you make. Now, wise, I can tell you one thing. If you're a wife who sits there and says, I know I completely disagree with you, and I think I've seek the Lord, and you seek the Lord, and we, we don't agree with this, but we have to make a decision. We cannot not make a decision. Someone ultimately, someone has to make a decision. That's why God points a leader. And so the leader is going to be held responsible for that decision for the family. So God is saying, man, you better step up. You better not, you better not be submissive in this point, of, this point here. You've got to take and make a decision. Even if it goes against your wife's thoughts 
at this point. But wives, submission means, yes, we'll do it. And you're supportive. You don't sit there and say, fine, let's see how well you do. And then do whatever you can to sabotage the man so you can prove yourself right. That's not submission, ladies. The attitude itself. Fine, you think you're right? <laughs> I can't wait to tell you I... No, of course, a godly woman would say, I, I told you so. Of course, she wouldn't say that to the husband. Submission is, okay, I'm going to trust that God has spoken to you and I'm going to trust that. I'm going to support you. And I'm, I'm with you. And guess what, ladies? What happens if the man screwed up and made a bad decision? Did you know that he, he's not perfect? That men do make mistakes. But you have a covering of God that says you are submissive. You are being a, a submissive wife. You are being a supportive wife. You are there along his side. And yes, you, maybe he, you didn't agree with it, but if that's what God is saying, he's seeking up the Lord, okay, well, I, I'll, I'll support you. And then when he does screw up and it doesn't work, you come alongside and he, I'm telling you, his head is down. He has failed you. It's the worst thing in a, like a man's mind to think he failed his wife and he screwed up. You don't have to say anything. It, we'll self-implode ourselves on the fact that we've screwed up because we're about fixing things and wanting to do things right and to conquer and to move forward. We're not looking to get on scapegoat. You don't have to say anything. All you have to do is come alongside and say, Sweetheart, I'm with you. God is going to work this out. What, what can I do to help and support you? I'm your helper. What do you want me to do to help you? I'm praying for you. I'm I want to encourage you. Let's, we, it's okay. We can go back and we'll do whatever, whatever you do. We can change course. I'm, I'm with you. I'm committed with you. This is our home. This is our family. This is our marriage. It's not about who's right or wrong, who's in control, who's not in control. I can tell you, wives, you want to show respect. You want to be puff, you know, get your husbands to step up into the leadership role and take responsibility that God has called him to do. Be a wife like that. And you'll see him just grow and mature in the position that God has called him to. He'll mature. And I'm telling you, you have a godly, mature husband on your hands. You are the more secure and loved, and you're, the marriage will be good. It'll be good. And so it's important that we understand this is not about limits and everything else. It's about the motive, uh, wives. It's the motive behind the fact that you want, you recognize that this is an important uh, 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 marriage, is important, your desire is to be successful and to, to finish this life well and the, the mission that God's called you to do, to be a wife and to be a, a helper of your husband and, and, and a mother and all the roles and responsibilities. It's not easy. It takes God, the Holy Spirit, empowering you to do that. You must trust in God to help you do that. And I'll, I'll, I'll mention this really important to those who are single. Remember, ladies, it is absolutely scriptural that you can, and this applies to men too in the first part, you can only marry someone who is a believer. If you're a believer, you can only marry a believer. You cannot marry non-believers. You need to look for the most mature believer as you can before you make any decision or even think about marriage with this person. 
But wives, when it comes to making a decision to get married, I understand how easy it is to say, oh, he says he's a Christian. Okay, he says it. Where is it proven out? Is he, where is he going to fellowship? Where does he fellowship? Okay, have you met any of the Christian friends around them? Have you been around their group? Have you watched your interaction? What's showing you, besides his words, that he's a Christian? Well, you know he's very handsome. Usually that's how it is. Faster. I've met someone over it. Oh, really? I'm excited for you. And, and, and they know what's going to come out of my mouth. Is, is he a Christian? And they'll always tell me, right oh, and he's a Christian. But he's so handsome. He's a Christian. And he's got a job. He's got money. He's a Christian. He's got benefits. He's a Christian. And, and, and this is where they live. And this is what he has. And you, have you seen his car? I assure you, ladies. The Christian is the most important. But when you read this scripture, you must also look for a man that you can, what? Respect. You see, if you can't respect this man, even though he looks good, smells good, and he drives a good car, and has a job, got the money, and a good family name, and all the above. And he's a Christian. But if you can't respect him, how would you be able to fulfill your role as a wife to be able to respect and submit to your husband if you don't respect him? So choose wisely, young ladies, who you say yes to. Choose wisely. Now I'll flip it real quick because I'll put a little bit on the guys. Are you wonder if you're not married? Is it because you, it's hard to respect you because of the way you live? the way you talk, the way you behave, the way you go? Why, why would God bring a woman, in, a good woman, a godly woman into your life if you can't be respected because you're just living crazy life? You're still like a, like a little boy playing games with no ambition. I, I, how, do you, how does a woman respect you as a, as a man? You know what I'm saying? The scripture tells us to put away childish things and grow up. Let's grow up here. We got responsibilities. We got things that God's called you to do. And these are great and big and hard things in life. And I'll tell you what. When God has refined you and you're grown up, I guarantee you, godly women will come. <laughs> because it's hard to find godly men who can be respected these days. And women will just see it, a characteristic in you. You will not have a problem, I assure you. Side note, just that, you know, that was, I'll, I'll, bring, I'll come back to the scripture here. But there is exceptions, ladies. There are exceptions to your submission your, to, to, to this, this husband of yours. When the husband is uh, asks you as a wife to sin, you have the boundaries and the, the scripture to say, absolutely not, I'm not submitting to that. That sin, God is first in my life, you're second, don't forget. God doesn't ask me to sin, you're certainly not going to ask me to sin. So you don't have to be submissive to that. The second reason why you wouldn't have to be submit is that you have medically incapacitated, medically insane. Now, I, you notice where I use the word medically. Lies, I know you think your husband's insane today. I know that. But medically, 
Literally, he, he cannot think for himself. He's under the influence of the mind of altering substances, or, or he's on drugs, or he's an alcoholic. Something's altering his mind. You don't have to submit to a man like that. Because I assure you, he's probably not hearing from, the, from God. Another reason would be is when a husband is violent and physically threatening the wife. The wife doesn't need to submit to her husband who's like that. Or a husband who breaks the marriage bond by adultery. And a wife does not need to submit to a, a husband being in an adulterous relationship. Ladies, you don't have to because he has lost his mind. And you pray for him. And you continue to pray for him. And you continue to pray for him that God would intervene and heal that man. doesn't give you grounds to run. Now keep in mind, I love the fact that now the second part of the scripture here that we read, that husbands are to love their wives. Husbands, love your wife. And do not be bitter toward them. Now, this, this, this right here, Paul's words to husbands safeguards the words to his wives, to his wife. The, the wives are to submit to their husband. It never excuses husbands acting like tyrants or acting like uh, this, these, these dictators over their wives. Wives can easily submit or to respect their husbands when they're loved by their husbands. When they're... When they're Feeling love. They're, 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 wives, the way God has built wives, they need to hear that they're loved. My wife and your wife, you could tell them, I love you, sweetheart, I love you, sweetheart, 30 times that day. And when they go to bed, what happens? Do you love me? I didn't hear you say you loved me. Wives need to hear, men, that you love them. Yes, on the, when you got married, yes, you told them, yes, I understand that. You feel, you got that done. You, you, you love them. You married them, of course. Of course they know that. Women need to know and hear that you love them. Daily. Multiple times a day. And not just in words, but also in your actions. They need to line up with your words as well. And you need God to help you and to, to help you to change you and mold you so that it's consistent in your nature. It's like breathing. It's, it's, it's who it is and who you are. But the husbands, love your wife. But remember, this is a radical change here. Because in that culture, the Greek culture, the Jewish culture, the Roman culture, all of that that he's writing to here in Colossae is completely opposite because the men were to lord over and had complete control over the women. Now Paul is saying to these men, you are to love those women. The love here is the ancient Greek word is agape. Unconditional. It's a, a sacrificial love. Many times people say, oh, it's a agape love. It's God's love. And let me give you some clarity on that. Agape doesn't mean God's love. Agape means a self-denial or a sacrificial love. Why do I say that? Because in your old life that Paul talked about, you had an agape love for sin. You loved sin. You loved doing what you were doing. 
You could also, we see that in, in John chapter 3, verse 19. You can look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, and you had a love for the world. You just had a sacrificial love for the world. You wanted everything the world had to offer. But God said, and then we saw in the reading, we're to put that off. And we're to put on that sacrificial love, agape love of, of, of self-denial for your wife, for Christ, for others. And that's what Paul is saying here. That you and I are to have this agape love toward our wives. A, a, a love that gives. A love that is, is not looking to get from, from your wife, but to give to your wife. You're not sitting here going, oh, I'll give agape love to my wife as long as she gives me this back. And when he, she gives me this back, then I'll give her the agape love. No, that's not how it works. You give agape love, sacrificial, self-denying love men to your woman with no expectation of anything in return. That is, that's what God's called us to do. We're not to have and put our wives in positions where you're asking for something that she, they cannot fulfill. Because the wife does not fulfill every need of a husband. And a husband, your wife cannot fulfill every one of your needs. Or vice versa. A husband cannot fulfill every one of your needs, wives. God brings them into your life to fulfill a specific purpose and a reason. But only God can fill you completely. The little nooks and crannies within your life that you feel empty and barren on. Only God can fill that. It's that relationship with God can only do that. Not your husband, not your wife. And so many times as I'm sitting here and, I'm, I'm, and people come in and ask for counseling about their marriage and usually it's always at the very end when things are just about to explode and about the divorce talk and everything else, I get people coming in and they're sitting there and have a lifetime of 10, 5, 10, 15, 20 years of marriage going and falling apart and not doing it God's way and they come into my office and they give me 45 minutes to try to fix it. Are you kidding me? And you sit there and you listen and you listen and you listen and you realize neither one of them have actually followed God's way of doing the marriage. And they wonder why it's falling apart and has never been fulfilling. Because you didn't do it God's way. And then when you say, okay, here's, what's the, here's the root of the problem. Now let's work on this. Let's practice on this. And they accept, well, well, it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen within a week. It didn't happen... See, you have to understand, God is gonna, is, God's will is for the healing of that marriage. The question is, is, do you have a desire for the healing of that marriage? And that's why Paul says here at the very end of that, that part for men, do not be bitter toward them. It implies that something that maybe the wife has done has caused you to be bitter. Or you're just become harsh towards your wife. You've come, you've come not only harsh, but you're, you're critical or, or these things. These things are not good and you must hear those. And when you hear those, you must say, God, help me, correct me, fix me, find out what the root cause is because that should not happen to my wife. Paul says right here, by the power of the Holy Spirit, do not 
become bitter. Do not become harsh. Do not become frustrated. Yes, yes, your wife could have done something and you could have been very frustrated. If it didn't go well, she I'm going to fill it in. I'm not saying this happened. It didn't happen. But you, you, you crashed the car. And then you came home. Honey, I crashed the car. You crashed the car? How, how did you crash the car? And what happens, we have a tendency to go, what is men? What's the reason? What's the root cause? How do I fix it? No, guys. Stop and say, are you okay? <laughs> are you, you're precious, more precious than the car. The wife is more precious, my brothers. You don't have to ask what happened. I assure you, your wife will tell you everything. And she should. <laughs> if it's a safe place to come and tell you. Right? If it's safe, she'll tell you everything. If it's not safe, she won't tell you everything. Why? Because as we see in the scriptures... Men can easily can become very agitated and angry or bitter if things are not going well. Men can get very frustrated. And when they get frustrated, it comes across as harsh and bitter or critical if things are not going well. And it needs to change. <laughs> My wife and I, we... Great, we have a great marriage. We do. But we have some intense discussions at times. It happens. Why? Because we're opposites, right? We're man and woman, right? It's like the, when counseling comes in. And you listen to the wife and she's describing what's going wrong with the husband. I'm sitting there going, you, you sound like you want to, you want to, you need a girlfriend in your life. You need a friend to talk to. You need a, you, you, you want your, your husband to be a, a woman, not a man. And when you listen to the guy and, oh, my wife doesn't do this, it's like, you need a buddy. You, 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 you sound like you, you, you want her to be a man. I know you want, <laughs> it's, it's funny, you, you want someone to just sit beside you and say nothing and just, just watch the game and, 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 and just do the fun things. And you, just, you don't, she doesn't need to talk. Just, you don't just hang out. And when you're all done, you look at each other and go, well, isn't that great fun, man? You know, to give her a high five and a bump. Wasn't that fun, woman? Men, you don't want another man. You want a woman. And women, you don't want a man. I mean, a, a woman, you want a man. And you have to understand when you don't, things don't line up, women, to the way you want them, you're, he's a man. He's not a woman. So when you have expectations that your man is to act and behave and think and do exactly like you, you have, you're going to be a very frustrated woman. Because the man's not capable. Because he's not a woman. He's a man. Not wrong, just different. That's why it's right back to the simplicity of things. Wives, we know you easily love your husband because it's just, it's in you. God planted it in you. But learn to respect, learn to submit to your husband. Even though he doesn't deserve it, he didn't earn it, he can't earn it. He can't do anything. It's, it's because God gave you him as your husband. And husbands, you better be on your knees constantly asking for God to, to change you so that you have this agape love for your wife. 
and be in tune with your wife. Because there's times in this love, this, this struggle between husband and wife, you know, man, I'll give you something that just, boom, hits me upside the head. That there is sometimes you feel like there's a disconnect between you and your husband. Husband and wife, there's a disconnect. Whatever word you want to use. I use tuning because it, it brought clarity for me. It's like listening to the radio. Maybe it's because I'm, I'm listening to the radio all the time, and it's just not quite dialed in, and you hear a lot of noise, and you don't hear the clarity of, the, of the, what's coming across the radio. 96.9 FM, just so you know. <laughs> Men, if there's a disconnect, if there's something not right, you need to ask God to help Bring clarity of how you need to adjust that dial to get clarity, to hear your wife clearly, and to understand your wife better so that you can minister to her properly in a loving way. Who's the leader of the house? Hello? Husbands, I should hear male voices. Not women, not the, not the wives. Men, I should hear. We are then it's your responsibility to dial in, to hear clearly from the Lord and from your wife how you can love her, how you can cherish her, how you can minister to her, how you can be there, because she's there. She's committed. Are you committed? Do you want to finish well in your marriage? Choose to finish well. Now, if that doesn't go well, it will affect other people in your home. That new home life will be affected, and that is the children. Now, in the scripture here, the children is referring to those children who are actually living under the roof of your house. Because, yes, moms, at some point, those children are going to fly from the house. God, did, God took his children gave them to you too to raise them up according to his ways so that he can go, they can go out from your house and do what God's called them to do. That's the proper order, ladies. And in that process, children, remember the letter is reading to the Colossi church. So the kids are in the church with the, the, the parents. And he's making sure the children understand this also. Obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And verse 21, it refers to fathers, but it refers to mothers here as well. If you look at the original language, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So we're now raising children. Kids, if you're living under the roof of your father and mother, this applies to you. That you are not, you are to obey your parents in what? What does it say in the scripture? In all things. Not what you just think or what you feel like doing, but in all things. You are to be obedient to what your father, your mother has given to you as the rules in that household. Now notice something. I didn't say age. So if you are a child who's 21, 31, 41, and you're living under the household of your father and mother, you are to apply or you are to be obedient to your father under that house. 
You don't get to come under the house at age 21 after you've left inside. I don't feel like working and I'm going to sponge off mom and dad because you're, you're unthankful and ungrateful and what they did do for you. And you come back under the roof and you sit there and say, I'm just going to sponge off because mom loves cooking for me. I'm doing this for mom. Oh, no. Hello. And dad's sitting there going, why is that boy back under this roof here? He's, you know, he's got to go somewhere else. But there's times there's understanding where there, someone needs help and you bring them under the roof. That's okay. But just so you know, the scripture applies to you as a, a, a young man or a young woman. You must apply obedience to all things under that roof. You're accountable to him. You've submitted yourself under that leadership. If you don't like it, then you pack your little baggie and then and your little cookies that maybe mommy will give you as you go back out into the world and do what you need to do. But let's assume it's no adult kids, okay, we're talking about. Let's just talk about kids you're raising up. They're hitting, you know, young all the way up through until they're graduating. And they can uh, actually are trained up so they can get out and get a job and get their own place. And they move, move on. But look at this, what he says here. Obey your parents in all things. Why? Because it is well-pleasing to the Lord. Why are you obedient to your parents? Yes, you have a love for your parents. Yes, you have a fear of your parents if you're not obedient. But that's not the reason why it should be. It says that you should get to a point where the kids are obedient because they're loved for who? For the Lord. Do you know that's what's training up your children? Yes, in the beginning when they're young, all they understand is this, this parenting ro ro uh, relationship. But as soon as they are able to understand which is very young... You should be teaching them as they're in the womb. Oh, I can't wait for you to get to know the Lord. And, and as they get uh, you're one month old, they're still talking to them about the Lord. And you're, you're teaching them the word of God. And you're singing to them. You're doing all these things because and eventually when they're raising up, they're going to start what? I want to please the Lord. They'll give their life to the Lord. They'll even just demonstrate it by getting baptized to show that they've surrendered their life to the Lord. We had a four-year-old little girl knows the Lord and got baptized this year. You can't. You tell me you're 20s and you can't? A four-year-old's more mature and understanding of who God is? That's amazing, right? Because God is working in the lives of each and every person. So we're sitting here. We see that they're to be obedient. But also notice this. You can go back to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2. But there's a difference between obedience to your parents and there's also what we call an honor your father and mother. Here he's referring to obedience under the rules and regulations of the household, how things are run. You're to contribute, you're supposed to clean, and you're supposed to help contribute to the household. You don't just come in and eat and sleep and not clean the house and not take care of the house and mow the lawn and all the responsibilities of the house. That's not how it works. But when you move out... You still, the scripture says, you, we are to honor our father and mother still. That never goes away. They're still to honor them. So as we see and look at this as for the kids and for us as a, as a parent, keep in mind that we get a warning there, fathers and mothers. Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. What does that mean? Well, when we get out of, out of the 
out of the role of coaching them up or training them up into the ways of the word of God, we can subject our own feelings and our own priorities and our own thoughts upon our children. My little Johnny is going to be the next president of the United States. My little uh, Susie is going to be the next neurosurgeon of the pediatrics. And you apply things to their lives and demand things in their lives that you have no idea if that's what God's calling is or not. As a parent, you train them up and you watch to see what their gift and gifts are and where their bents are and their, their abilities and, their, and what God's putting on their heart. You just train them up and you just guide them. You don't tell them. And the biggest thing I see all the time, and it happens in the athletic world. Dads, this is a big thing for you. Wifey, how are we going to pay for college? Hubby, uh, Johnny is not born yet. Still in the womb. And you're worried about college. Now little Johnny's born, and like Hubby tells wifey and says, how's Johnny, how are we going to pay for college for Johnny? He's now five. I think he needs to go to the best training camps for the following ten different sports, and we're going to have him in it seven days a week, and we're going to figure out because he has got to get a scholarship to pay for college. And you poke and prevent and, and you force and you, you force your kids to do things because you want to live through their life or you're trying to get them to do something because you don't want that, per, that, that little Johnny to be in your house after age 18. And what happens, you poke and press and you tell them what they're going to do and you put them, bring them to a point of discouragement. And dads... Yes, our role is to discipline. Our role is to be the leader. And our role is to, to be the tough guy at times to say, no, you will not treat my wife like that, your mother like that. that that's my wife, first of all. Don't treat her, treat her like that. And second of all, you are going to make your bed and you are going to do these things. And you have to do those things. But you can do it in a loving and a firm, a meekness, a quiet strength that they can look at your eyes and go, oh, oh dad is mm, dad locked in. I better listen. Because they respect you. Because if you're raising them properly, they will respect you. They will honor you in the position as a father and as a mother. And they'll do it out of love, not out of fear. Why do we serve God? Do we do it out of fear or out of love? We're to do it out of love. Now, you may have just gotten saved and you came to Christ because out of fear of going to hell. And then God saved me. And then I got I to gotta do something for God because I, I got to earn that love. No, no, no. You're saved. You don't have to serve him because out of fear. You get to serve him. You get to serve your Lord out of love for him because he has saved you. Your children are the same way. They may fear have a healthy fear of respect that, ooh, I can get disciplined if I don't be obedient. But it has to be out of love because if it's not out of love, what will happen is your children become discouraged and they will come to a point where they will disengage from you as a parent and they'll sit there and say, all I have to do is somehow get through the next few years and I got my uh, diploma and I am out of here. And then as a parent, you wonder why your kids don't want to come back. 
They, they don't want to engage or to spend time with you. They're, they're, I'm over at my friends. I'm over at the, I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to bring my friends around my parents. Are you kidding me? I, no, I should not be. If you've raised them properly, they'll have a love for you. Yes, they're going to grow and they'll flop through your wings and do all kinds of things, but they'll always, always seem to make sure they keep an eye on mom and dad of what's going on. That's what I want to encourage you as parents. Have a strong marriage and raise your kids according to the ways of the Lord and teach the kids to obey you as parents. Parents, it drives me nuts to watch. I'm sure it doesn't happen here, but I'm talking about on the streets, okay? At the apartment stores and grocery stores where the kids rule the family. It should never be where a parent says to me, I can't do that because Johnny doesn't want to do it. The kids tell you as parents what you're going to do or not do. You have a very dysfunctional family then. That will catapult itself from the terrible twos that you think is just terrible twos. No, no, no. That's the sinful little wicked sinner coming out. And as he gets from twos to fives, it gets worse. And if it's not disciplined, and when he gets to 15, it gets really bad. And by that time, once they're set in that teenage, it is really bad. You as parents have very little movement in correcting your kids, though. That's why I want to encourage you, discipline out of love very early on so that they will not depart from the truths of God in your direction that you've set. Amen? Are you, are you, are you with me here? Yeah. This is not to scare you away from marriage, and this is not conversation not to scare you away from having kids. Why? Because this is a beautiful thing that God has given you as man and woman, is marriage and children. It's a blessing. If you, you, you only see it because you probably raised in a family that did not do it God's way. Or you're watching families who are not doing it God's way. But if you set your eyes on the truth and set your eyes on families who have done it God's way and you see it, you will not have a struggle getting married or having children. You go, that is what I want in my life. It's true. And that's why we do it God's way. So children, obey your parents in all things. It's well-pleasing to God. And to do it, why? Because you know what God says about your disobedience? Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23. For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. If you choose rebellion, you're just opening up the, 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 the demonic forces and darkness of witchcraft in your life, and you wonder why your life is falling apart and going crazy and, out of, and, and just seems so dark and so down. You're being rebellious in some form or fashion. You need to repent. You just need to change. But Paul encourages not to discourage the kids. Be there. Encourage them with grace, gentleness, forgiveness, long-suffering. That is how you to raise your children. Why? Because God has done that for you. He's been gracious to you and I. He has been gracious and long-suffering and gentle and forgiving to you. How can you not be that with your children as well? And then we'll wrap it up here. Verses 22, bond servants, obey all things, your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. 
And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. So we see here in the, as a new man, as a new woman, if you've taken, you're a Christian, you've taken on the, the things of God, there's this new home life you're living in, and part of that home life is how are you going to provide for that home life? And here we see the bondservants. More than 50%, like I said, over 50% of the population in that time in this place where they're talking about were all slaves. And they're talking to the slaves here. He says, obey all things of your masters according to the flesh without eye service or as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. He says, you're a child of God. You need to have an understanding that God sees all things. And when it comes to you serving in a, or what we call today, and as an employee position, you're a worker bee. You are to do it out of fear of God that God has said, I've called you and I have placed you in this place to do this work, to make this money to provide for you. And you are to what? You are to do it with sincerity of heart. In verse 23, you're also to do it wholeheartedly or heartily as to the Lord. You're going every day to work because that is what God's called you to do. You go there and you serve him at the place that he has you. And while you're doing it, you're doing it with, with the right attitude, with the right heart, and you're giving everything you have to do what is exactly what your master or the, the boss or the supervisor has asked you to do, and you do it with gladness because you're serving God. You're not serving that man or woman who's your supervisor. And you also, as you notice here in verse 22, you're not to do it in eye service. You're not sitting there going to your buddies, where's the boss? Where, 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 where's the, where's the, the, where's the leader? Let's eat or drink our coffee. And then all of a sudden, you're going to be a spotter. You stayed out there. When you see the boss coming, you yell and let us know, and we'll put our coffee down, and we'll get back to the sweeping. God is saying to you, you are not to be that kind of person in the work environment. That is not godly. You're not to do it. Only work hard when the boss sees that is the worldly way of doing it. That was the old man. You've got the new man. You don't do that. You work hard and do what is right, regardless if the boss, the supervisor, sees you doing it or not, and even has even a clue that you've done it. Not only are you not to be eye service, but you're not to be man pleasers, a brown noser. You're not sitting there going, okay, I understand the boss really likes this, so I'll do this, 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 and he's going to like me, and then I'll, I'll get some special treatment, and I'll get this, and I'll get that. No, that's not how you do it. God, I'm coming here. This is what they asked me to do, and I'm going to faithfully do it with integrity. Why? Because, God, I serve you. You see all things. You know all things. I am free to just do what you've called me to do. Now, here's the challenge, my brothers and sisters. You're sitting there, and you're now a brand new Christian, or you've been a Christian for a long time. 
and you're in this work environment and it is not easy. There's a lot of darkness in that place and you might be the only Christian in that place. You might have other Christians, but they're not letting to tell anyone else know it. They're hiding. They're hiding themselves under a basket because they don't want them to, anyone to know that they're a Christian. Not good. But you boldly proclaim you're a Christian. You live. You're, 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 you're the poster child there. And you're watching the bosses give all the special treatment to the ones who are non-Christians. They're getting the promotions. They're getting the jobs. They're getting the special things and the, and the, and the special treatments. And, they're, and you're, you're the one doing 80% of the work. You're on time. You're faithful. You're doing it right. You don't give attitude. You just do what you're told to do and you do it really, really well. And you're doing what, but you don't seem to be rewarded or be recognized or be called out. Bob, you're 80% of the work. Everyone else is doing 20%. I'm going to applaud you. That usually doesn't happen. But that doesn't change. That doesn't change us. We continue to do the same thing. Why? Because the scripture tells us you will be rewarded when you go to heaven. It says right there, you will be rewarded of the inheritance in verse 24. Because you serve Look at the notice here. Only place in the scriptures here. Notice this. Circle it. You serve the Lord Christ. Do you notice? Jesus is not there. Usually you hear the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only place in the scripture where you see two titles together without Jesus involved. What does that mean? You are to what? Serve the master who is Christ. That's what we do when we go to work. That is how we're to act as Christians at work. And ask God to give you the strength and the wisdom to do that at work. And what happens is, is even though you may not seem you're going to be rewarded or be recognized or be any of these things, you don't need any of that. All you need to, you're serving the Lord. And you know your reward is going to be when? When you get to heaven. God sees all things and will be rewarding you according to what you've served him in the capacity you're at. But also notice there in verse 25, but he who does wrong will have to repay. You're going to, re you're going to pay somehow. You always pay it, do it right the first time, or you're going to repay somehow, some way when, the Lord, when you see the Lord. It's, he's going to make it right. He's just. But notice something. Verse chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, Give your bondservants what is just and fair and knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So one thing is employees. But if you are sitting here today and you're a supervisor, you're a boss, you're a business owner, you will be held responsible how you treat your employees. If you must treat them with just and fairness, you must pay them just and fairly. You must treat them justly and fairly. You must reward them justly and fairly. You must respect them justly and fairly. You must see the value. Now keep in mind, Paul is writing to slave owners. You must change as a Christian boss, a Christian slave owner. You must change. You now must treat the slaves differently. You must treat them with just and fairly. 
This is radical. This is a radical letter going to these people in Colossae. This is radical for many who think because you finally became and you got a certain position and a rank or whatever you may be, that somehow you now can turn around on your employees, on your, your staff, and somehow lord over them and direct them and be a dictator and not treat them fairly and respectfully and, and, uh, and justly and not think that God sees that as a, Christ, as a Christian uh, master, that God doesn't see how you're treating those people? And not going to correct you and deal with you swiftly? Are you kidding? So Paul's warning them, and we're being warned today. We must treat those who are working there beside you or with you and for you as a boss or a master to just know that God sees all things from heaven. And you must treat them justly and fairly. I don't care what your culture is in your, your business. I don't care what your, the culture or the training up that you received by that company or by the military. I'm telling you what is right and good as a Christian boss, as a supervisor. Do it God's way. You will be rewarded and will be blessed. You do it uh, the worldly way. You will not please God. You must choose God's way. It's important. I was in the military. I was a supervisor. I was in a business world. I've been a supervisor. But I understand this from an application way. And I'm telling you, do it God's way is the best way. And that's what God's called us to do here, to have this new home life. To have this balance where you're coming home and you're leaving and going into work and you're coming back. There's, I'm telling you, as a man, there's nothing better than to have this peace and to have, there's, there's order, there's, there's not chaos, there's not confusion. There's a great life as a man to have that happen. When you're coming home, your wife is just right there by your side. The children are in order. They're not just rampant around the household there's peace to come home to when you go to work you're doing god's work yes it's hard work you're sweating by your brow because you're plowing some are plowing literally some but scripturally you're plowing whatever we're doing for work but there's a peace about it because you know you're doing god's work and then you come home and you're excited about the things what's going on in life and what's happening in your family it's a good christian life my brothers and sisters Yes, even when the sickness comes, it's, there's still peace and joy. When there's death in the family, there's still peace and joy. When change takes place and the loss of the job or the change of the job or whatever happens, there's still peace and joy. Why? Because God is in control and you want him to be in control and you're doing it his way. There's no better Christian life, man. So I encourage you, enjoy the new home life.